Our lesson today is led by someone who certainly does not need an introduction. <clears throat> he has just returned from Peru on a mission trip, and so we're all honored today to have our own Al Temples to lead our lesson. Buenos dias, amigos. <laughs> How was that Spanish in the South Georgia accent? <laughs> and now that that's over, that's about all I learned in Spanish. <laughs> many, many great experiences. And to boil down over a week into about 25 minutes is just not going to happen. There are probably going to be things that I intend to say that I'll forget. There will be other things that don't even come to this shallow mind. But I do thank you for being here. When I first got here and saw there's so many people, I thought the Word was out that Malone was here, somebody else. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Uh, before I get into what happened on the trip, I want to say again, thank you for all the support you as a class and you as individuals did for this trip and for the trip prior, the other group that went to Peru. Uh, your prayers were most appreciated and prayers are still needed. But your, the way that you give to set an example to me and to many others. In fact, it was mentioned even when we were in Peru about how the CUC class gives. Of course, he gave money for the proclaimers that were used in that first trip to the jungle and for Bibles, brought in a lot of uh, dental hygiene items. Some of you contributed toward paying part of a trip for the team members because all the team members have to raise their own money, which is about... $2,200 per person for transportation here, there, while in Peru, food, lodging, etc. And then some of you actually went to bat to go and contact companies to get them to donate to this particular cause. And did I mention prayer? Because prayer, it's all powerful. Some of know to describe it. So I'm going to go through the team quickly. Uh, some of these names you perhaps will know, some you won't know, because not all are members of RUMC. Chris and Susan Liner. Chris was our team leader, and Susan, we met at a kindergarten that missionaries had started. Was Susan made sure that we had all kinds of supplies to take for the teachers and for the kids there, and led the group in helping teach the kids that week we were there. Then Lee and Amy Dodson. Lee was our dentist, and Amy is the Hamilton's daughter, so you've got a direct connection there. And one of her friends, uh, Angela Pettis, went with us. Jacqueline Hickson, 22 years old, member of our church. She's getting married here in the chapel this fall. And one of the things that was so meaningful to me was to see so many people. I was the oldest one of the ten, had that distinction. But so many of the people were under 30 years old. Half the group is under 30. And to see their commitment and see their enthusiasm was just just an amazing thing. Uh, someone asked me this morning if I had pictures. Well, one of our young ladies, and I'll, I'll mention this very briefly, had a big camera with her. She was taking lots of pictures. So I'm going to get them all to you. But when we, we got back to the airport coming in, her mother met her to give her another suitcase because Meredith had learned that she had been accepted to a three-week intensive course at MIT 
But she had to leave that same afternoon we got in. So we don't yet have the pictures. But I'll get pictures and I'll bring them to you. And for those of you in here from Auburn, she's going to Auburn just as soon as she gets back from MIT. <laughs> they need a lot of help. They do. They need all the help they can get. Uh, of course, when we got into Wankayo, which is the city where we were, where we were based, is where the Ivies, uh, Arthur and Mary Alice Ivy, are based. And they have many, many other missionaries. There's a family there, McEwen's from Ballground. One of the ladies from Columbus of Georgia was well represented. There was a young lady there as an intern, Catherine Gwynn. Her dad is a pastor in the North Georgia Conference. And one of the Ivy's sons was there. They had several Peruvians. And most of the people that were there, whether they were U.S. citizens or Peruvians, were there to help us, especially me, to interpret for us. And so again, being around those people with that commitment was a great part of the trip to me. A couple of other people that were on our team happened to be from Roswell, members of the Catholic Church. I wanted to mention that because pretty soon I'm going to tell you about an experience that affected all of us, but directly, directly affected them. Another comment before I get into the trip itself. This trip, going into Oncayo and then out to a little community, a little farming community, was a piece of cake compared to Paul and Joanne and the others that went to the jungle. It was a piece of cake. The only thing we had to really, as far as as hardships go, the only thing we had to be concerned about was, are we going to get a shower? Because that night when we would get in, most of the time there was no water, period. Plus, it was about 10,400 feet in altitude and very cold. It'd be down in the mid-20s at night and up to about 50 in the day. And nobody heats the buildings. The hostel has no heat. The missionary homes have no heat. The little building we were using where the kindergarten met had no heat. So what I did, that way I didn't have to worry about a shower. I put on my long johns. Kept them on for four straight days and nights. <laughs> that way, I was able to stay warm somewhat. On the trip itself, I'm going to give you some background. I mentioned a little earlier, we, we went to a farming community, San Juan de Iscos, and there, there were three communities side by side, and they all sent students to a kindergarten that was started several years ago by one of the missionary families that was there at the time. Today, it struggles to stay afloat because while the Ivies are trying to take it over, it really, according to Arthur, probably would have already gone under had it not been for three of the Peruvian ladies that stepped up to be the teachers. And they also were very helpful in making sure this particular mission trip came off. Because you may recall early on, we were making a request for a doctor to go on this trip. Of course, we had Leah's dentist, but we did not have an MD. Peruvian government could not provide one. So we ended up at this location compared to Congos Bajo, a town where we were to have gone had we had a doctor. Our trip was very successful, and I'll give you a lot of those details. But I want to give you, again, a little background. We're in a farming community, and 
Is Dick here? Is Dick Anthony here? Yeah. Dick reminded me of growing up down in South Georgia. But you're going on a dirt road, which were common in South Georgia, but you can see way up the hill, lots of terraces, a lot of irrigation where they built ditches and were bringing the water down from way up in the mountains. And from the roadside, way down the hill, more terraces and more little little plots. Two or three acres was a big field. I remember seeing on the day we set up the clinic, people were there plowing. They used a couple of milk cows that they had put under a yoke. They had one person's out front with something to entice the cows to try to bring them along. <laughs> one was in back with a plow that was literally, because I went down to look at it, all wood. It was actually a tree limb that had been cut and shaped to be a plow. So I gave you a little understanding. Uh, when I was growing up in the 40s and 50s, we didn't have any tractors. It was mostly manpower and animal power, all muscle power. But we had steel-tipped plows. We had a lot of equipment that Peruvians don't have. It was either do it with your own back and your own muscles or do it with the cows and the burros. What crop, Al? They grew, they grew a lot of corn. Uh, and they had already harvested the corn. And you would see people always working. And a lot of times, I'll get into home visits a little later, they would actually, particularly the ladies, would be shelling corn. Now, they could shell corn better than I could ever shell corn when I was growing up. Because they, in a 35, 40 minute time, we were this one lady, she probably shelled three bushels of corn. They're always working. The ladies are going down the road on the way to the field. They've got the little spinning device. They're spinning thread. They're, they're raising sheep. They're raising, uh, of course, dairy cows as well as beef cows, hogs. And they stake, the, they stake their hogs out. They don't really have a pen for them. They just stake them out, and they get to eat whatever they can reach. The lady uh, that was the director of the kindergarten, three-person staff there, single lady, and you know what she did to raise money for the kindergarten? She raised hogs and sold hogs. But it was, uh, again, just in a way as a trip down memory lane, things I hadn't thought about in years and years, but much more primitive as far as the methods of farming go. Another bit of background I'd like to give you has to do with the spiritual part. As I mentioned, Changos Bajo was the town we were to go to, but we could not since we did not have a doctor. So when we went to it, because Arthur wants to take a team, he'd like to take an RUMC team there next year. So he wanted us to have a real understanding of the term he kept using, spiritual warfare. So the first place we went to, we got off the bus and had about a quarter mile hike up the hill to a beautiful setting, a little river, a bridge over the river to a very pretty church, the oldest church in Peru built by one of Pizarro's cousins in 1550. Uh, it's maintained by the state government today. The church itself, the congregation, the Catholic Church, moved down many years ago to another location. But that church had a very large cross outside, which has now been moved down toward the plaza. 
when you come out of the church, walk back across the bridge, <coughs> you can look down to an open meadow. Go down to that meadow, there's a big post with a cross on the top. And that's where the Inquisition started in Peru. When they would literally take the natives, tie them to the post if they would not convert to Catholicism and beat them. If they still did not convert, they were shunned, that is, those that survived the beating. So that sort of gives you a bit of a taste of what a lot of the people still feel. It's more emphasized when you go into the town plaza and you see these statues. The costumes on the statues are beautiful. I saw some of the ladies, they have beautiful needlework doing all kinds of embroidery. Well, this statue has the big hat that's very decorated and the capes and everything like the people have in the parade. Because throughout time, the people have converted a lot of the icons and the saints into form of worship that's not really what Catholicism is about. In fact, Arthur said that even in the Methodist church there, some of this sometimes happens. Uh, the, the people, a lot of people don't understand the message yet and it's become very perverted. Arthur said that's why many years ago they stopped using the word Christian or Christianity because it had such a negative connotation. They refer to themselves, all the missionaries and the people that are part of their team and are in these these groups. We talk about small groups. Well, over the, I think it's about 14 years now, Arthur tries at the end of each year to get a survey of all of the people that are participating in small groups. At the end of last year, still on the rolls, over 6,400 people. They do not meet in church buildings. They meet in homes. And again, they don't use the word Christian. Another part of that story is that the cross I mentioned at one time was up at the original church up on the hill. It's been brought to the plaza. It's actually worshipped. A lot of people go into the mountains to worship the mountains, worship the glacier, and do have some very, what I would call, pagan practices associated with that form of worship. At the cross, there are a lot of people that are there on little small stools, and they put these beautiful flowers. The whole plaza is covered with a lot of beautiful flowers, and again, it's right beside the current Catholic Church, and there are people that have gone just off the church property, and they've bought flowers, and they've bought candles, and they've come back to the cross, and they pray to the cross, not praying to God, not praying to Jesus. They're asking that the cross grant their desires. Sometimes, of course, it's things like good help, but also... I'm mad with my neighbor because of what it did to my hog or whatever. And they pray for a curse to be visited upon that neighbor. Now the people that have sold them the candles are not Catholics. They are witches, the way Arthur termed them. And you go in and say, well, I want to pray for blah, blah, blah. Okay, you need these this color candle. Go back over and you pray and come back and bring me the drippings from the candle and 
I will show you what I'm going to do then. So when they would take the candle drippings back over, the person would flip it over and tell them, okay, you wanted blah, blah, blah for your prayer. For that to be granted, you need to come back seven times. Sometimes, seven times seven. And the Catholic Church has tried to get it stopped. They've tried various things. And yet it's just known that that cross will grant those curses and wishes that people from all over Peru and many other countries come in there. So the Catholic Church can stop it for a while, but pretty soon there's a whole group of other people coming in. So the Catholics, the two that were with us, were just really, really upset, visibly upset. Went into the church and they said, even though the teachings that they get in the church here, this post on the wall is the same, they can just tell from what's being said in the church the teachings are not taught the same way, nor are they received in the same way. So again, all of that is background, uh, just to lead up to what actually happened while we were there. We set up the clinic, took over the one big room that was the kindergartner's room. They now at this time have 14 students, three, yes, three, four, and five years old. They're there from about 9 to 1.30. We put up a sheet, literally, this third of the room down here is where the OBGYN nurse is going to do her consulting and her examinations. Kindergarten staff still pretty much in the middle. Down on this end is where we will be fitting people with reading glasses, giving them, you remember all those toothpastes and toothbrushes you brought in? After we had fitted some of our reading glasses, we simply asked them how many people are in your family. Again, knowing no Spanish, I'd be given the high sign by one of the interpreters. They'd tell me three or five. Well, I'd put that number of toothbrushes and tubes of toothpaste in a bag to give it to that individual. And Lee had set up the dentistry clinic in a little room off of that larger room. And just to give you some idea of the people, of course, they're outside before we really get started. We we eat at 6, we're on site, but at 7.30 we have our devotion. We're opening the doors for 8 o'clock, and there are people out there. And when they came in, the ladies, and I haven't even thought to mention this to Linda. Where's Linda? There she is. Uh, the ladies, whether they were only toddlers or grandmothers, they would come up to greet you when it's this, a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. So I got lots of kisses while I was in the group. <laughs> right, I had to tell it before the group, you know. And the men were also very gracious. They always were smiling. And they would say, Buenos dias, and shake your hand. The ladies, again, from toddlers on up, when they left, same ritual. And if Malone was here, I'd like to tell him how they do that. Because he, he talks about hugging. Well, they hug and kiss. <laughs> when the people that were to be examined by the OBGYN nurse, of course, would sit in the row of seats over here, and the people in the community coming in, it's a big time for them to visit. Because, again, they spend just about every waking hour just eking out a living. So when they have time to have a little social time, they really seem to appreciate that. 
And then when the ones that had dental problems would go back to see Leo and tell you about a couple of those that happened while I was in there. Yeah, I can set that scene a little bit. Very ill-lit place. We've got a generator. We've got an air compressor. Uh, there's a little rickety chair that the Ivies have that serves as a dental chair. And you remember the old-fashioned gooseneck lamps you put on your desk? Where you put one of those in the back of the chair and you extend it way out and it's got some light on it. But my job when I went in was to hold the flashlight because there was not enough light until you put that flashlight so we could see better. First thing he told me after he examined one of the people that came in and had a problem with a wisdom tooth, Al, I was hoping we weren't going to have to extract any jaw teeth this trip. But anyway, I always turn this time that I'm on mission trips over to the Lord because I'm the only one here that could help if something goes wrong. And I'm turning it over to Him. And Lee says, every time, the Lord comes through because I've never had a problem that was something that I could not resolve. No matter, I don't have x-ray, so I don't know what I'm going to see when I try to remove that tooth. A lot of work. He said, have you ever seen dental work from this side of the chair? I said, no. Without <laughs> giving you the graphics, it was a lot of work to get that tooth out, but he got it out. And the guy was so grateful. He had a young woman that came in. I want to say she was in her maybe mid-twenties. Three of her teeth were extremely bad. He completely rebuilt those while she was there. And you would not believe when she saw that mirror and saw her her expression. So again, everything that happens there, thank you for being supportive of it. Um, all the time that we were going through those clinic kind of operations outside under a little uh, arbor there are four tables. Each of those has a Peruvian missionary. So when you go in and get registered, one of my jobs was to take the people and give them off to one of those Peruvian missionaries. And they, that was the spiritual counseling and time with them. In the meantime, of course, the kindergartners are out there, and a lot of our people off our team, as well as their teachers, are working with them and teaching them Bible stories and doing all that they can to help them while they're outside and it's misting rain most of the days but the kids didn't seem to mind the teachers didn't seem to mind and when we've had finally had one day when the clouds went away there was no misty <laughs> rain the sun came out all of a sudden one of the teachers came running in she got this bag that had the soccer balls in it they were going to the soccer field to play on that pretty day well, I had seen the soccer field every day when we would drive in. It's got goals on it. That's the only way you recognize it because out there it's a dual purpose field. It's also got about 20 head of cows on it. <laughs> <laughs> but the kids again didn't seem to mind. They get out there and hire young people that went with them. Oh yeah, we can play on that field. You just have to watch where you're stepping. <laughs> <laughs> they, had a, they had a big time every, every time they were with the kids until they Mothers picked them up about 1.30. Um, in order to get through in the allotted amount of time, I'm going to give you a few numbers and then talk to you about the part of the trip that to me personally meant the most. Lee saw over 51 people, but 
of those that he would and could help pulling teeth and so forth he helped uh, 51 there were several that came in like the young lady that had uh, problems with the front teeth but weren't nearly as bad and if he felt like that that was not going to be a problem he would go on to the next person and they always were accepting and understanding and he came back to some of those later as, as he was able to pick up some more time. I don't know whether he was able to cover all of them. But he, he had 51. The uh, OBGYN nurse sold 40. Those of us distributing the reading glasses, 196 people got glasses and toothpaste and toothbrushes and so forth. Uh, again, there were 14 kids in the kindergarten. And I'll talk more in just a minute about the people that went through and talked to the Peruvian missionaries. In the meantime, Arthur Ivy is coordinating all of this. On Tuesday morning, we're all geared up, ready to go to work. Gosh, we learned what we're supposed to do really on Sunday and Monday. Now we'll be at our peak day and nobody's there. So he gets on his phone and a lot of people do have cell phones there. A lot don't, but a lot do. And he's got such a network and about the second phone call, he found out what had happened. Part of what happens in that community is that I mentioned all those irrigation ditches. That's normally what happens. They'll call a work day because an irrigation ditch got stopped up. So if you don't go, if you don't send at least one member of your household to that work day, even though it's just called the night before, then you have to pay a fine of about 120 soles or about 43 U.S. dollars. So there was nobody out there for a good long while. And he also told us, Arthur also told us, and the one thing you'll find happening when you start these home visits, you'll find that a lot of the people are wanting you to understand how hard they work, which you have already seen. I mean, you see people, ladies especially, if they had a baby, they put their baby on a little sack, it was just a four-cornered piece of material, tied around their waist and around their shoulder. Finally, I asked one of them, I said, if you don't mind, of course, I had to have Josh there, my interpreter. How do you tie that knot to hold that baby? I thought it was going to be some super secret knot. Well, she takes it off, takes the baby, shows me the baby, puts the baby back around, ties it all together. I said, oh, that's just a regular square knot. So they're walking with that baby. They're going to the field. They're working all day in the field. they got the baby with them on the back. I said, well, how long does the baby stay in there? Till it can walk. And it was just amazing how they could do it, both the men and the women. But to me, I was more impressed how the women could do multiple tasks at the same time and worked so, so many hours. But Arthur said that the people will want you to go visit with their animals and talk about the crops before you can have your regular <clears throat> visit, which, which we did do. Um, during the home visits, some of these had been set up by the three ladies that operate the kindergarten. Some of them were with parents and grandparents of students of the kindergarten. Some were with <clears throat> cold call, if you will, just knock on the door and see if anyone's home. Uh, some of them were with people just like we would visit, people that are sick in the community, bereaving people. And they were always, to me, so very meaningful. And I think in total, in the afternoons, since some people were freed up, we covered about 30 home visits. 
I was fortunate to go on seven of them. And I want to talk to you a minute about one in particular. When we got to this house and we had walked way, way up the hill, I'm sort of out of breath as well as all the other gringos, it was hard for us to keep up and hard to walk up the hill. When we got there and went inside, and this happened every time I went on one of these home visits, whoever greets you brings two chairs. Now, there were always at least three people, sometimes four people. So I developed the theory that what they wanted you to do was to feel welcome, but not too welcome. They didn't want you to feel like you could, you could stay there all day because they had a lot of more work to do. But through the interpreter, oh yes, we need to go see the milk cows, or we're going to go talk about the sheep, or talk about the crops. And so we make a little tour around. We came back and just sit down. And oftentimes they would just sit on the ground. And usually inside this courtyard area, it was uh, a concrete floor. Oftentimes it was just dirt. And keep in mind, the animals are back here. But as soon as you sat down, all of a sudden to them, that was a signal. Well, there's burrows, chickens, whatever. They would just come sort of gather around where you are. <laughs> it didn't bother me because I've had chickens peck at my feet before. But the girls that were with me, they never had seen that, so they, they were a little bit disconcerted by some of the behavior of some of the animals. But once you sat down and started talking, this one particular family, the grandmother was there, the mother, which is the one that we had intended to see, was not there at the time, but she was coming back shortly. The grandmother's completely dressed in black. So we thought that meant that she was in bereavement, and so we found out, and again, these conversations take a long time because of all the interpreting back and forth, found out that her husband had died about four months prior, and she would be dressed in black for another eight months. And though we're standing, we're sitting on this concrete and a little bench, three of us on a little bench about this wide, she was sitting on another little bench, the two grandkids a six-year-old boy and eight-year-old girl were sitting over on some, what I'm calling feed sacks, just over in the corner. And yet they were very attentive, very quiet, but they were really paying attention to what was going on. Well, the grandmother had told us about her Bible study and where she got her Bible and so forth. Then she asked for me and for Angela to give our witness. So, of course, we did, because she wanted to know our story and how we were walking with God and how we had come to know Jesus. Well, when Angela, whose husband had been killed 10 years ago in a car wreck, realized that the grandmother was recently a widow, one speaking nothing but Spanish, one speaking nothing but English, but they were, they were like that. And then we had a prayer. And I don't know the words exactly, but I know what the words were as interpreted. The grandmother's prayer was very meaningful. She was praying for us. The one thing I noticed in every one of these home visits, all the people wanted was for more work. They felt that the Lord would bless them with work, then they would be okay. And that was one of the things she wanted. She was also praying for her Blessings for her children and grandchildren. Well, when we get through and are about to leave, we hear the burrows. The burrows are coming up. 
again and look behind her there's the mother of the two children the two young children so she comes up and again to try to shorten this down we go up through essentially the same visit she tells her story uh, she's expecting a baby which will be born around august the 28th and she of course wants prayers for that baby for her children but then as tears come into her eyes she starts telling us about uh, marital problems and in Peru a lot of the younger men go to work in the mines or work in one Cayo or some other city and come home only about once a month and not going to get into the details but there were marital problems there and then she was concerned too about having another baby in the household so she stood up where the grandmother had stayed seated we all stood up and formed a circle around her well, Angela noticed that the kids wanted to be included so she and I sort of parted she picked up the little boy we got the little girl so everybody could be with their mother very emotional time but yet I thought the Lord was right there at that very moment and the mother said that's what she felt too so we're trying to get ourselves put back together and say our goodbyes we ask if there are any other questions anybody might have in the meantime the little boy and little girl come back further away where they had been originally and nobody's hands came up the grandmother had come back her hand nor the mother but about that time the little eight-year-old girl's hand goes up she has a question of course we recognize her and ask her for a question and she said why does god love everybody and why does he want everyone to love him and I don't know about you, but when I was eight years old, I was thinking about playing baseball or something. I didn't have those kind of questions on my mind. Well, we got a little huddle, and we gave her an answer that part of God's plan. That's what he wants, is for us to have a sense of being with him as he is with us and in us. And that's who God is. God is love. Well, she accepted that and indicated by her answer. So we're getting ready. We're going through the motions of leaving again. Any, anything else? No. And all of a sudden her hand goes up again. This time her question was, why hasn't Jesus already come back from heaven? So again we huddled and we, we came up with an answer that she would nod her head even when it was given to her in English because again she's been through kindergarten she has a little English and she was pleasantly I guess is a good way surprised I think to know that we would answer her questions take the time to do it so I guess I gave her a little courage all of a sudden her hand goes up again <laughs> her third question was why did Judas betray Jesus again I'm thinking man 
<laughs> so we told her in so many words that we really didn't know the answer to that except that that too was part of God's plan. Maybe one day we would have the answer. Again, she thanked us and just, her face was just beaming. So we get up to, uh, to leave and this time we do make it out the door. But before we leave, as they always did, the grandmother says, now if you come back in the morning when I have milked the cows, I've got to have a liter of milk for you. Every time we were there, they would give you corn or potatoes or something. You couldn't leave without some sort of gift. There's a story about Inca Cola. I'll tell you one day, but I had to do it in private because I don't think I could tell it. But one of the ladies offered us Inca Cola. The thing, going toward the close now, before I do, any questions you might have? We've got a couple of minutes. Yes. You don't have to see the land that Arthur's Arthur bought? No. The question was, we did get to see the land that Arthur's bought down in the jungle. They're putting in a farm. In fact, it's already been cleared. The road has been pushed in. But as I understand, it's the time we were there. Part of it is now washed out, so they've got to go back and redo that. But the idea there is to grow cocoa beans. Is that what you understand? To grow the chocolate? Yeah. And, and, other things. and other things. So that that part of the community will be self-sufficient. Arthur showed us, uh, he's a Georgia Tech graduate, and using his engineering background, he actually said it took him about three years to get all the parts in the junkyard and so forth. They built a bottling plant. He also has just now completed another part of the plant so that they don't have to go buy bottles or recycle bottles. They can now extrude and make their own plastic bottles. And that plant is going at almost full capacity. So the only thing that prevents it, they can now manufacture it a little quicker than they can sell it. But they get enough income off of that now that supports a lot of the mission effort there in Wankayo. Uh, what are they bottling? Sorry? What are they bottling? What are they bottling? Yeah. Now, they, they get uh, distilled water, and they make different flavors. They've got a strawberry and a grape and an orange flavor. It's all flavored drinks. You said that you, that uh, Arthur Ivy's... <clears throat> Christians do not refer to themselves as Christians. So what label do they give themselves? Uh, for themselves, they also call themselves followers of Christ, just like the Peruvians that are Christian call themselves followers, followers of, Christ. of Christ. Yes? What kind of equipment did the dentist have? Uh, the dentist was relatively well equipped, except you couldn't go out and Make a crown like that, and he can do it in his office. Had no x-ray equipment. A lot of hand tools that had been taken down. Uh, had an old chair that supposedly is a portable dome chair, but you had to be real careful to be sure. Got it braced just right so it didn't tip over, that kind of thing. Uh, the lighting, again, was just a big old long gooseneck lamp and the flashlight. Uh, I was asked to be sure to keep the pain-killing medicine, Novocaine and so forth, warm. Because that building, it might have gotten up to 45 degrees. And Lee said, if you inject it when it's really cold, it's much more painful. 
So we had a little hot plate. I'd go make sure we had some hot water, and I'd put those vials in that warm water and keep them warm, and he would touch them with his fingers. Yep, that's good temperature, and inject the people. Uh, it, it had been sanitized by Lee and had a lot of sanitation practices. It also had a, a generator and had suction because it had an air compressor that was all brought in by us. Oh, yeah, had an had a air-powered drill. How was your food and drink while you were there? Uh, food and drink, again, compared to the jungle group, uh, I remember Paul talking about a lot of rice. We had a lot of rice, a lot of potatoes at the same meal. However, we had it really, really fortunate because part of um, the money that we had sent ahead was used to hire two cooks, and they cooked the morning meal and the evening meal in the Ivy's home. So a lot of food, particularly the meat, I wasn't sure what it was that I was eating, <laughs> but it all tasted pretty good. Now, years ago when I was a kid, I remember having tripe. That's the first time I'd had tripe in, I don't, I don't know, 60 years or more. But it, it, compared to the jungle eating, it was, it was high dollar eating. Thank you again for your attention and your participation. Let me close. I want to read the scripture that the, the young woman that was the, in the kindergarten, one of the teachers read on the last day when she had the devotion. You've heard this before. I had heard it before. But again, I know you had to be there, as they say. But having heard this particular scripture at that time, it had a a different kind of meaning. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. This is Romans 10, 12 through 15. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on they, they start over. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one on whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I, again, thank you for helping me to be part of that experience. Uh, I challenge you this morning to continue to keep the missionaries, the Peruvian missionaries, of course, missionaries wherever they be, may be, missionaries here in Roswell, people that will be working tomorrow, people will be working every day this week to help other people in the name of Jesus. Continue to pray for them. If you will, close your eyes and I'd like to dismiss us with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you mindful of your closeness to us, knowing that you care for us and that you love us. We ask you to give us strength and understanding and wisdom so that we may help spread that love. Amen. Amen. Now, one one more thing for you and I'll be through. Dios te benaga. 
May God bless you. Thank you for putting over my speech. Thank you, Al. That sounds like a double blessing, a blessing to the Peruvian people for you being there, and it sounds like you you had a blessing from being there, so it's very interesting. Thank you. I'd like to leave you with a thought for the day. Every day is a new beginning, so think of it that way. Stay away from what might have been and look at what can be. Have a great week. Thank you.